there's a lot of studies looking into anti-cancer, anti-aging properties and um, other effects of fasting and particularly the way of fasting through Ramadan. You know, the Holy Quran and the, the practice of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, um, they both quite clearly demonstrate um, how to live a balanced life. You know, you have all these people going into like um, seclusion or going off to India and meditating for a month and kind of deconnecting with everything and disconnecting with everything. This is part of our life every single year, right? Where we kind of take a step back from the worldly life, quote unquote, and you're focusing more on your spirituality, you're not eating, so you all these health benefits that we're talking about. Even though you may be putting yourself under strain or harming yourself from other people's perspectives temporarily, it's not sustained because the long-term benefits with that growth mindset, with that um, goal for higher spiritual, higher spiritual achievement and development, um, that goal is much greater. A lot of people become, they start to practice aspects of Islam which they just wouldn't do, do in any other time of the year and again it's because of those leverages that are put in place it's, it's like it becomes easy society through trial and error will ultimately come to islamic teachings <laughs> Assalamu alaikum everyone, peace be upon you. Today, I have the pleasure to be speaking with two very esteemed friends of mine. First of all, we have Atal Fatih Tahir, who is a lecturer at Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, a seminary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He also works as the sub-editor of the weekly Al-Hakam newspaper. We also have the privilege to be speaking with Dr. Hasham Ahmed, who is a medical doctor working in the NHS. He has a background in surgery and research and has a particular interest in science and medicine within the Holy Quran. Both Dr. Hasham and Atal Fatir are co-presenters on the Al-Hakam Inspire podcast. Right, so welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. It's an absolute pleasure to have you both with us today. We, you know, one thing I was mentioning at the, just before we started recording was that this, uh, this podcast was actually started after becoming inspired from listening to your podcast. So it's actually quite good that it, it, it suits the, or it's quite apt and appropriate to the name of the podcast that you have, which is the Inspire Podcast for Al-Hakam, um, which is great. It's good. It's, um, it's good. It's good you, you felt inspired. Yeah. Yeah. So as you can see, uh, your podcast is definitely having an effect all the way here in Australia. So thank you so much for everything you both do. Um, So um, the other thing I was mentioning was that the main objective of this podcast is to help understand or help people understand the benefits of the Islamic principles and for them to see Islam as more of a way of life rather than a a set of dogmatic beliefs and a way in which we can actually, um, you know, continue to improve in our lives and 
maybe even look at it this way, uh, seeing the Holy Quran as the best manual for uh, self-help. So today, uh, in that vein, we're, we're looking to talk about uh, fasting or the Islamic uh, version of fasting and understanding the wisdom behind it, its benefits, etc. Um, and it's really interesting because growing up, uh, well, I grew up in the UK just like both of you, and one thing that I'm sure both of you faced, and I faced quite often, not so much now, but particularly whilst whilst growing up, was um, usually when we would talk about fasting or whenever I would mention that I'm fasting for the sake of Ramadan, um, many times you'd get these awkward stares or people would kind of ask the question that, you know, why, why, why would you, you know, stay away from food or even drink for such a long period of time? It's like, why are you starving yourself and what's the wisdom behind it? And usually it's kind of implied that, well, actually what you're doing is actually harmful for you rather than something which could be of benefit. And you're just, you're just doing it because it's some sort of dogmatic belief or ritual that you've picked up from your parents and there's no really benefit to it. Whereas interestingly, um, in recent times, there's a lot of research has gone into this. And just just within the past decade, in 2016, many of us would know that a Japanese cell biologist by the name of Yoshinori Osumi was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Medicine for his research on autophagy and how in actuality, fasting activates this process. So I was hoping we could begin somewhere here, um, looking at the the health benefits before we start looking at maybe the uh, religious or the behavioral change benefits that fasting can provide. Um, so I was wondering if, if, you know, maybe we can start with Dr. Hasham, if, if you could tell us a bit about, you know, the health benefits, maybe touch on um, this concept of autophagy that was introduced by this uh, this doctor. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think firstly, to echo what you said, you know, you know, when we were growing up in school, the the narrative was completely different where it was that lack of understanding or not knowing what fasting is, the reasoning behind it, the spiritual improvement that is um, that, that is the aim for for achievement by fasting. And then the lack of understanding of the physical benefits of fasting and the effects on your physical health, your mental health, spiritual health. Um, and now because of so much research, that narrative has changed qu quite significantly. Now people are actively studying the Islamic process of fasting and we have various other ways of fasting, intermittent fasting, you have heavy dry fasting, um, you have various other kind of surrounding regimes that people create for fasting and there's so much more research into it now with this with the islamic way of fasting you know it's been around for many many years it's always been this one kind of process and i think it's important to mention that the ultimate aim is this spiritual benefit this um the spiritual health that we aim to better and achieve by going through the month of Ramadan, by fasting through the month of Ramadan. However, there are also added physical benefits like you mentioned. And recently, one of the, the research that you talked about kind of on cellular autophagy, that was quite groundbreaking in the sense that it um, was looking into how autophagy is basically where the body 
tends to kind of um, kill its own cells that are not required or start this process of kind of uh, removing or cleansing your body of uh, unrequired cells and also required cells as well. But the, the, the reason why it's so interesting and why it's so important is because by default, you're looking at conditions like cancer, where you have active differentiation of cells, where you're trying to, where cancer is kind of spreading throughout the body. And suddenly you've got this study looking into the process of slowing that down, in fact, reversing it. And so that was quite groundbreaking on itself. There's no kind of definitive conclusions from it, but there's heavy kind of strong evidence to suggest that this process not only slows down, but can go into reversal as well. So that's one thing that is important to remember. And it's not the only study. There's a lot of studies looking into anti-cancer, anti-aging properties and um, other effects of fasting and particularly the way of fasting through Ramadan. I think going back to basics, um, it, in itself, the primary benefits that you see, physical benefits that you see from fasting, and there have been a lot of studies and research looking into this, is the effects on reducing things like metabolic syndrome. So that's basically a, a label for a group of conditions like uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. And they're the key kind of culprits in significant health disease. So um, when you get diabetes, you it tends to affect the mainly the small blood vessels in your body. So mainly you get kind of diabetic retinopathy as a complication. So the small blood vessels in your eyes, in your feet, your kidneys, and even your heart. And it tends to, if you imagine pipes, it tends to kind of weaken the walls of, of these blood vessels. And um, then there's other things like cholesterol buildup where you get kind of blockage. And again, sticking with this analogy of pipes, you know, you get blockage of, pipes and all of this stuff puts you at risk of strokes, heart attacks and significant life-changing problems. And um, it's not like it's going to, these things put you at risk of, of death. They do. But the other added complication is you end up living with significant disabilities or dependencies on medications to look after your health. So there's this huge drop in your quality of life. So fasting in itself a lot of research has been done to show that you know there was one article looking at the uh, level of cholesterol in young fit males prior to fasting and then after fasting and you tend to find that and there's been sort of recorded drop in cholesterol levels um, there's been beneficial effect on reducing um, the chances of getting diabetes. So increasing insulin sensitivity and decreasing insulin resistance. Insulin, you know, you need that sensitivity to have good control over your sugar in your body. So fasting help, helps with that. And it helps with various other things. And all in all, overall and broadly speaking, these conditions that we talked about, you know, heart disease, kidney disease, um, diabetes and vascular disease, you find a significant health benefit. And of course, the most recent research surrounding um, cancer and the benefits on, on that as well. So overall, there are many different types of fasting, but the, the process that is described within Islam has been shown to be beneficial in multiple ways um, on, your, on your health as well. Right. All right, and it's interesting actually because um, nowadays it's it's just become a thing. I feel that people, you know, you mentioned about how 
um, the benefit of not being on pills or on medication in the long term. And I think people have really started to realize that we need to live our lives in a way that you're not dependent on medicine in the long term. And, uh, you know, one thing that we've been trying to present uh, in the podcast episodes that we've recorded thus far is this idea that in actuality, uh, everyone fundamentally is religious. It just really depends on what you mean by religious. And the Islamic understanding would be to live your life in a well-balanced and well-proportioned manner. Um, and within that comes your diet. Within that come, you know, the Holy Quran and the the practice of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him. Um, they both quite clearly demonstrate um, how to live a balanced life, uh, what type of foods to eat, what type of foods not to eat, etc. Um, so no, I, found, I found that quite interesting. But I'm just wondering, for someone who doesn't have um, too much knowledge in terms of the science, etc., um, how would you explain why those health benefits actually take place as in as in basically what i'm trying to ask is what's happening um what what's happening to the body when you're starving it from food and water which then results in these good results right as in um what, what what's pushing the body to begin this process of autophagy yeah that's a good question it's very complicated because there's multiple processes that are happening in the body but kind of simplifying it and broadly speaking, when you go through this period of no food, no water for a certain period of time, you know, dawn till dusk, what you're doing is creating a, a strain on the body, so a metabolic strain. And due to that, certain processes are activated. So you put strain on the kidney, you put strain on the heart, you put strain on, on the brain. Um, and so the hormones that are looking after the different processes in the body, they all come under strain and they start working in different ways. The body has a response. If you imagine going out into the cold, right? Um, icy cold weather, your body adapts and suddenly certain processes are activated immediately, um, starts shifting blood to where it's needed and hormones are released and you start breaking down fat and um, you know, carbohydrates to, to get that glucose and that energy around the body in the same way you're giving, not, not quite in the same way as, as a cold weather, but you're putting the body under strain. So it's just an example to show that certain processes are disrupted. And as a result of that, you get this process of, if you do fasting significantly and sustain the effect, then you can um, activate this autophagy kind of processes but certainly in the even within a week of fasting you'll start activating the reduction in um, cholesterol the reduction in insulin resistance you know you increase your insulin sensitivity and so the surrounding processes are um, beneficial so you're less likely to or it provides almost like a, a period of reset. So you're less likely to kind of head into diabetes compared to someone who doesn't fast at all, right? If you're comparing yourself in these kind of moments, yeah. I think, yeah, definitely as Dr. Hisham said, the spot on is there's actually a really good um, 
a couple of podcasts done on really going to the nitty gritty of, of the science by people like Dr. Andrew Huberman, who we've spoken about on our podcast a lot. Um, Dr. Anna Lemke, who is also a, she's a professor of medicine at Stanford and does a lot of work on addictions. And she ex actually explained this concept really well in from a neuroscience perspective and like Dr. Sham just said, resetting the equilibrium. And like Ata, um, you just said that, you know, Islam teaches balance, right? So in this day and age of cheap dopamine hits and, you know, lots of um, unhealthy habits like social media, scrolling, junk food, video, video games, and, you know, horrible, horrible addictions as well. What happens in the brain, and Dr. Anna Lemke explained this beautifully, and she talks about these gremlins in the brain, right? So you have a pain and pleasure balance, right? And equilibrium is where you feel good, right? You're, you're um, not feeling depressed, not feeling anxious. You, you're living a good life in from a neuroscience perspective. Now, what's happening is when we're getting these cheap dopamine hits, like scrolling on Instagram or YouTube shorts, or just waiting for those likes for, you know, a post or whatever, or having, you know, eating chocolate and or junk food, that's basically weighing our, um, you know, dopamine scale down. So we're getting a lot of dopamine, dopamine. However, when we stop that, the pain comes flying down and your dopamine base level then also gets completely ruined, right? And what happens is your base level comes lower, right? And so what the whole concept of um, establishing equilibrium is so important in terms of the dopamine. And fasting enables this as well, because you're get it, you're basically doing a whole massive reboot, reset. And the way Dr. Anna, um, Anna Lemke explains this is th this whole concept, you, you'll hear it on a lot of um, podcasts by me medical professionals and scientists and researchers. And it's what Dr. Hasham was talking about, this, this stressor of the body. And the term for it is hormesis, which in Greek basically means to put into motion, right? So the concept is low stress on the body, low to medium stress, will actually result in better um, growth in terms of well-being. And with the dopamine, it's the same. So if you do difficult things, right, so you put the pain uh, gremlins down, you're weighing the scale down, then what happens is when you, let, when you come out of that painful activity, then your dopamine level actually raises, right, because it's trying to rebalance it. So, and then your base level goes up as well of dopamine. So by doing difficult things, hormesis, so that could be cold showers, fasting, exercise, all these kind of things, you're actually increasing your baseline dopamine, right? So you're generally feeling better. So that's a completely Islamic concept. And Ramadan, you know, 30 days of nonstop fasting every day, your, it's, it's, it's a constant stressor every day. And of course, when it comes to the spiritual element, but from the physical element, you're giving your body the stress of, you know, not drinking or eating. And as a result, all these amazing things happen in terms of your health, 
uh, mental health, physical health as well. So this concept of um, rebalancing our dopamine levels, especially in this age of, you know, endless cheap hits of um, dopamine and other feel-good hormones and pleasure hormones, it's just amazing. Uh, especially for someone, like, we all live in the world, right? In in this really mm. fast-paced world. And just resetting everything is just, it's an amazing thing, um, tool to have at your disposal if it's ingrained into your life. Well, it applies to everything though, isn't it, interestingly? Because, um, you know, it's it's not it's not just... Well, because we can talk about that as we go further, um, that, you know, the, the whole experience of Islamic fasting is not really limited to food. But, yeah, it's not this dopamine um, or this do- dopaminergic response that we have. It's, it's, it's not limited to just food, um, but rather I would say the ability to um, have an immediate way to gratify yourself. And that can uh, manifest itself in so many different ways, right? And it, what, what what's interesting is, um, as you said, you know, it's 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 a concept that's uh, quite heavily uh, I- enshrined in Islamic wisdom. Um, you know, the one particular verse of the Holy Quran comes to mind, which is "Tabarakalladhi biyadhi al-mulk wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir alladhi khalaq al-mawt wal-hayata liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala." Right, which is that. Um, Basically, God Almighty is the most grand and majestic being who is responsible uh, for all of creation that we see around us. And then he particularly then points to the fact that he's created death and life so that he may try you and uh, it may become manifest uh, which among you or who amongst you uh, behave in the mes- best manner. And it's interesting because the uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, he touched on this particular verse and he explained, it's really interesting, the words that have been used in this verse, right? It's, um, you know, usually um, in the English language, when you whenever you use the, the, the phrase or the metaphor, you would say, oh, it's a matter of life and death. Whereas here, it's like the opposite. And God is mighty saying that, well, he's created death and life. And he gives the example that in actuality, um, a certain level of death is required in every aspect of our life for healthy growth. And then he gives the example of how he says that, you know, it's interesting because you would think someone who's at rest would actually be much healthier than someone who's constantly putting themselves under under strain, right? And he says that, you know, he gave the example of, okay, well, a couch potato, someone who sits on his couch all day watching TV, just eating on his chips. And, um, you know, and that's all he does in comparison to someone who actually wakes up at a particular time, he goes to work out at a particular time, he, he keeps himself busy, right? And he says that, well, Technically, maybe logically speaking, you would come to think, I mean, if the science wasn't there, if the experience, if the human experience wasn't there, and just on the, on the basis of these two scenarios, you ask someone, oh, well, who do you think is going to be healthier? Usually you might have the idea that, well, obviously it's the person who's at rest because you're not, you know, putting yourself under strain. And he says, well, quite the opposite is true. And it, what's seen is, and, you know, this is something which is now fully well understood nowadays. 
when you put yourself through some, I guess one example we've been giving quite frequently now in our podcast is the example of working out and going to the gym, etc. And it's like you put your body under stress, you break up your, your muscle tissues. Um, but what happens is, is you're not getting weaker, you're getting stronger in the long run, right? Ultimately. Um, you know, but then it's, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's a massive yeah, example ahead. right now in like modern day health and well, well-being cultures are cold showers, right? Cold showers are huge. Mm. There's a lot of scientific evidence talking about the benefits of it. Um, and it goes, again, to the hormesis um, concept. But one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we're talking about balance here and resetting everything and creating that um, homeo- homeostasis condition. It, the Quran mentions this as well, right? And like you were saying in the beginning of the podcast, the Quran is basically the cheat code, the blueprint of human, not just physical well-being, but also mental and spiritual well-being, right? So in Surah Al-Rahman, Allah says, "Audhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim." Wasmaa rafaaha wa wadaal mizan, right? And as for the sky, He raised it high and set the balance. Um, so that you know the actual equilibrium of the world and what the all the different forces governing it are in one balance and then he allah says allah mizan so that it you do not defraud the scales and go over the scales so and this is not just this verse but throughout the quran allah is talking about the mizan right the balance and exactly we, we we're talking about this um a balance that we, everyone to, in today's fast-paced world is seeking, but also, crucially, now the science is proving that there is a balance, which we, um, you know, at our um, biological level, we the body is craving and the body is pushing to establish and create. So w- that, that, that for me is that, just amazing. Yeah, it's, 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 head, it's kind of... You know, you're looking for that optimal balance, that optimal way, what you talked about, feeling good, feeling kind of well in yourself, good levels of dopamine. You know, just touching on what Fatir said earlier, you know that ba- when you get that baseline dopamine increase, you do feel better in yourself mentally as well. So it has a huge impact on your mental health. Most of the medications that, you know, most of the patients we see in clinic nowadays with depression and anxiety symptoms, they're treated with medications that are designed to increase that level of serotonin, that good home hormone, and essentially, ultimately try and increase that baseline level of dopamine. Now, they have loads of side effects. And you know what you were talking about earlier, like dependencies on medications. People nowadays, m- my general opinion is that people are looking for like shortcuts or they don't want to put in the the work basically or feel that stress or pain but what they would benefit from realizing is what father was saying is once you put your body under stress and strain you do start this process of kind of slight process of of what metaphorically we're talking about is death but it brings about improvement and better health in every aspect that we discussed a lot of people feel that in Ramadan as well, right? So Ramadan is like that month where, okay, it's kind of scary that, okay, you're not going to eat for a month. But then once you get into it, 
people, Muslims love it because it's like, this is what I needed. I need, you know, you have all these people going into like um, seclusion or going off to India and meditating for a month and kind of deconnecting with everything and disconnecting with everything. This is part of our life every single year, right? Where we kind of take a step back from the worldly life, quote unquote, and you're focusing more on your spirituality, you're not eating, so you all these health benefits that we're talking about. But there's, like you're saying, there's all sorts of um, other benefits where, you know, just like you, you can put a pause on things and you can just slow down, disconnect a bit, focus on yourself, um, your inner you know, spirituality as well. Um, and there is an element of community, which I want to talk about, the importance of community in Ramadan as well, especially we'll come to that later. But yeah, it's just, um, it's amazing, this, this this whole concept. Something recently that I came across as well was the whole, you know, you mentioned about dopamine and you can actually use dopamine to your benefit. Um, so the way this idea was presented was that, well, usually we associate dopamine with uh, things that are associated with immediate gratification, right? And that that's what then obviously uh, raises or lowers the baseline of your dopamine. Because then what happens is if it's if you associate it with immediate gratification, then, um, you know, naturally what happens is you're then craving for the next thing, right? Because what happens is you, you have a spike in dopamine and then right after they say that the studies show that um, you have a drop and then you feel, a, you can say borderline depression for maybe, it could potentially go on for a, a day That's or two. That's the pain balance, right? That's the pain balance yeah. where you it's going towards pain. That's why you feel depressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, um, and, but if, specifically you're seeking for that high that dopamine gives you by these things that provide immediate gratification then naturally you know you're going to be constantly going from a high to a low high to a low whereas if you just change the way you look at things you can actually utilize that same because again what does islam teach us islam teaches us and the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community who claimed to be the promised messiah his holiness mirza ghulam ahmad he spoke about how every single faculty that we have within our bodies and and around us um they're all good innately fundamentally as long as they're used appropriately um so you know if if you change the way you look at life um, and for example, instead of trying to seek that immediate uh, gratification, you're thinking about long-term progress. And the Holy Quran expresses this also in a very uh, interesting way. Um, I was explaining this recently in one of the classes that I teach, and that was that, you know, um, right from the beginning of the Holy Quran, it's talking about guidance. Allah hudam rabbihim, right? Those who are upon guidance. Uh, uh, those who are muhtadin, those who have long-term guidance. And um, I was trying to explain the, the whole idea that in actuality, fulfillment in life is found by solving one problem after another and finding better problems to solve and constantly having the guidance, the correct guidance to go from one thing to the other, right? And in actuality, uh, that's basically the Islamic description of heaven as well, because what happens is heaven, the only difference is 
um, one, you can curate that heaven in this very world. But then you can also, you know, uh, when we're talking about heaven of the afterlife, uh, the way the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community explains it, he said that, well, the heaven of the afterlife is just basically uh, a realm where your effort is no longer required. You've done something so well and you finally curated that aspect of yourself so well. And in terms of the hereafter, this is your entire being that it no longer requires your effort. You're just on in a default state of constant progress, constant guidance, right? And in this world, right, it's trying to get into that mindset. You know, uh, another way that people talk about it in the modern day is having that identity, enjoying the process rather than trying to look for the results, right? And the same thing can, you know, you can understand it in light of dopamine because basically if your outlook is that, well, um, you know, I want to, you could pick pick a specific part aspect of yourself. I don't know, maybe exercise or health, right? I want to be, I, I am a healthy person. This is the identity I've adopted. And this is the identity I would like to curate. Well, what do you need to do to curate the identity? Well, you need to eat healthy. You need to eat consciously. You need to maybe exercise. You need to start moving around a bit, um, etc. Right? Um, so every effort that you make towards that identity provides a level of dopamine, right? Because every time you achieve that, even you know, even you have, visual, you have that even, even visualizing or thinking about it does that as well so even like thinking that how am i going to achieve um this result like you talked about even doing that sets off dopamine so sorry to interrupt but yeah oh no yeah absolutely no thank you so much because the thing is because then what happens is the dopamine actually ends up being a driver because what happens is every time you've achieved a a level of uh, uh betterment right then you're thinking about the next thing Right, you're thinking about okay. Well, how can I find? Uh, how can I tweak this a little further? How can I curate my life a little bit better? How can I be better at this? And then you're thinking about the next stop, and then you can actually reduce. So there was an in, uh, there was an individual talking about because so, the thing is, it's important that we're able to use knowledge in all fields of life um, and try to uh, you know not. Sp- not specify it to just one aspect of life and just think that well it's in association with that so for example there's a businessman he goes he's talking about how um you know i do the same thing with my business so usually we we have this big project coming up and you know we we're all uh you know all all hands on deck for it when we achieve the the project um usually what i'm thinking about is well what's the next step how can i improve on this right and that he was saying was basically drastically re- reduces that pain response that you have um right after where you've just achieved what you needed to yeah. achieve and you're like oh what's next right? so th- this is so, this is sorry this is um so they usually call this um the top of the mountain concept where you've reached the top of the mountain now what right it's yeah, like yeah. so there's an element of pain in it and that's why dr huberman explains this really well he said there's all that you should always be always be in a process of achieving 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 and creation 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 rather than just having like an end point like this is my goal and that's it um like there should be constant movement but 
this concept again it's found in the Holy Quran, right? Where Allah says, Wa faragta fansab that when you yeah. uh you you yeah. um yeah. you know uh, you finish worshipping Allah, then fansab, then do it again, you know, go back into motion and carry on, right? And you can apply this into yeah. life. Like you've achieved, and when the goal, you've achieved carry your on. objective, move forward. Yeah, yeah. Move forward. Exactly. Absolutely. And the, ex- yeah. the neuroscience and the science, which obviously other people, more qualified people, are better um, at explaining. Um, but again, these people are not necessarily religious, but they're coming towards a very religious element, which, you know, religions and um, from, for, from our perspective, Islam, but also other religions, because we believe their origins to be divine, um, have been teaching for a very, very long time. Like fasting isn't exclusive to Islam, right? It's in mm. Christianity, there's fasting. In Hinduism, there's fasting. Judaism, there's fasting. And of course, from the Islamic point of view, we believe that the origins of those religions were from God. And over time, mm. they moved away from the actual um, purpose. But anyways, the, the main point is that religion has been teaching all these different things for a very, very long time now. You, yeah, you know, just yeah. just on that, if you <clears throat> do have that mindset of growth mindset, yeah, where you're trying to yeah. achieve the next thing and better yourself, actually, if you are a religious person who understands that by achieving better health, by achieving better physical health, mental health, I'm going to achieve or, or improve my spiritual health. So you're looking at the, like you said, not just the long term, but the very long term, the afterlife as well your soul looking after your internal self if you're you have that as your end goal you suddenly put your end goal much further and you suddenly don't reach that top of the mountain because a mountain is much further and you're trying to get there a lot more so your goal isn't suddenly okay i'm going to get fit i'm going to lose 50 kg your goal is suddenly Mm. i'm going to get fit i'm going to improve my weight and that will help me in my spiritual um, endeavors as well. It will help me in my mental endeavors as well, again, to improve that soul and spirituality. And the, yeah. the Islamic and, fasting, sorry, just one point. The Islamic fasting is the same. It's not like, you know, we fast once in our life for 30 days. It's every single year, Ramadan, the blessings of Ramadan, but not just every single year well, for one month, but weekly right so it's like this fasting which happens your whole life right as long as you're not ill and all, all the reasons when when you're not allowed to fast but as long as you're healthy and you can do it you're meant to be fasting for your whole life so it's not just this one kind of you know one month in your life that you do yeah absolutely and it's so good that you said that because basically what i was about to say was that um you know the reason where the reason I'm giving so much time to because someone might be listening or when and thinking that, well, why are you talking about dopamine? Why? What's this got to do with fasting? And I think it's really important to kind of get this concept in our minds fully uh, before moving forward because a problem that I have um, even amongst Muslims today, again, a lot of the teachings of the Holy Quran, well. A lot of them, are, unfortunately, are just ignored in the first place. But those which are enshrined, those that you you kind of you inherit from your your parents, um, those teachings, you know, they're, they're very dogmatically done, and we don't we don't really realize that. No, in actuality, 
each and every one of these forms of worship are assisting you to curate a better life for yourself and to develop that connection with God. And it's important to first, uh, you know, as you said, uh, when you develop that mindset, then you actually look forward to Ramadan. You know, you, you're not you're not then afraid of the fact that you're going to be potentially starving yourself for 30 days. No, you, you realize that, no, actually, it's it's a way for me to further you know, move forward, further, make further progress and kind of um, uh, push myself a a, a little more better. Yeah, yeah. Can I just mention one thing before we move away from the kind of health aspect is, you know, um, putting your body under what some people could look at it and say, you know, like what Father said earlier, that you put, you're putting your body under strain because why not just fast without, but be able to drink? Because some people say that, you know, by not drinking, you're harming yourself, you know, to keep your kidneys functioning well, you should ideally be drinking throughout the day. And there have been studies that show that when you fast without drinking, um, so no water, that does have a, a negative effect on your kidneys. It puts strain on your kidneys. However, it's so interesting to see that what we classify in the scientific world as you know, strain on the kidneys. In actuality, there are loads of studies looking at providing you have healthy kidney function and you don't have kidney disease, right? You do see a drop in kidney function by going through this month of Ramadan, but it's not sustained. Your body's clearly under strain, but it's not sustained. Your body bounces back as well. So it's it's this aspect of, you know, you're putting yourself under strain and yes, you're going through that difficult kind of period, but the ultimate goal that you're trying to achieve, um, even though you may be putting yourself under strain or harming yourself from other people's perspectives temporarily, it's not sustained because the long-term benefits with that growth mindset, with that um, goal for higher spiritual, higher spiritual achievement and development, um, that goal is much greater and sustained. And I think that's why in Islam, you know, there is guidance to people who are unwell with long-term conditions or not able to fast. There's a whole host of of um, conditions detailed, which you guys can um, know more about as well. But there is that element and you can still gain spiritual benefits throughout the month of Ramadan, even if you can't fast. Fasting is only the physical aspect. And I think that goes back to my point earlier about, you know, having that ultimate goal for spiritual development as the primary purpose of the month of Ramadan. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that's a great segue to just move forward to this aspect of the conversation, which is, you know, so why do we fast in the month of Ramadan? What, what's so what's so special about Islamic fasting? As in, um, uh, I think that that's uh, that's why we're here um, to kind of understand and unpack unpack this con- con- concept. I think there's so many aspects to it because um, uh, what, what I, I think we've already mentioned this, but what I find interesting is that. You know, for the longest time, we had well people talking about how maybe what the what Muslims are doing during this month is actually harmful, and it's just this uh, dogmatic uh, practice that they do uh, just for the sake of it, and there's no benefit to it. And obviously, um, the research, as we've discussed, is not just quite reassuring, it's very reassuring. And I think to many Muslims, it's faith-inspiring, really. Um, and uh, 
But then obviously, you know, aside from the research in the physical benefits of it, um, when it comes to Islamic fasting, I think the emphasis is mostly on overall well-being and behavioral change and then ultimately bringing about that spiritual transformation. And Again, in, in, in a recent podcast, uh, we were talking about how it's important to develop a moral framework, right? And it's when you create that moral framework, then that uh, a spiritual uh, being also comes about, right? Um, and a lot of the times we get it the wrong way around. Uh, we sometimes don't realize that spirituality is a byproduct of the moral framework that you create for yourself first and foremost. And you can't just really claim to be spiritual without actually developing a moral framework. And I, and I particularly stress upon this because it's just amazing. One way to look at Islamic fasting and particularly the month of Ramadan is it, it kind of puts in all the leverages and the systems in place to kind of assist you in bringing about that behavioral change um, in developing habits because you know there's a lot of again we, there's research done on habits as well i mean it's it's incredible um uh for example i believe it's the book atomic habits right um that that, that book is just phenomenal and again reading through it i was just again just thinking man there's nothing here that's being mentioned which Islam hasn't already categorically and explicitly described, right? And there also, also he talks about the fundamental aspects of developing uh, a habit. One, you know, one of them being make it easy for yourself, make it obvious, and then the other one is make it attractive and make it, and another is make it obvious, right? And it's interesting because, um, you know, just touching on the making it easy aspect of it. It's like through fasting, what you're doing is you, you've added a leverage there to kind of ensure you behave in a particular way. So, for example, what what happens, right? So Muslims would wake up um, before the break of dawn. Um, they would pray and we can talk about that. I, I, I specifically want to share with you something in relation to that, but we can talk about that later. But um, they pray and then obviously they eat their food. And then as soon as uh, the dawn breaks, the break at the break of dawn, um, they, they start, they begin their fast. Now, what happens is from that time till sunset, um, you obviously go through a period where you don't eat or drink, but it's not limited to that. During that period, there's a number of other things that you can't do either. Um, you know, you cannot consort consort with your wife or your husband. Um, you know, you you shouldn't be telling lies. You shouldn't be behaving uh, inappropriately at all, right? You, you can't curse. You can't do anything because what happens is you you what you should be having and what most people will have on in the back of their minds is, well, um, if I do this, then it will invalidate my fast and this whole fast basically i'm doing it for no reason and you know i might as well go and eat and drink something if if, if i'm behaving like that right but why i touch upon this in particular is there's a concept that the founder of the Ahmadi muslim community put forward uh, quite clearly and he was saying that well if you can hold off on that which is permissible 
then in the long run, it's easier for you to stay away from that which is impermissible and that which is unhealthy for you. So in actuality, what you're doing is you're kind of uh, putting yourself in a position to, you know, or you, you've kind of set these leverages which help you behave in a particular way for a extended period of time, which you otherwise might not do. You know, and there's another way that it kind of manifests itself, right? I mean, you can be very specific, for example, you can then be very, you can be much more conscious of, are you lying? Or are you telling the truth? Are you talking? Are you being straightforward? Or are you trying to beat around the bush? You know, you can go to that level of accuracy. But then one thing that I've seen also in the month of Ramadan, and I'm sure all, both of you have witnessed, and usually a lot of people comment on this, which I don't think is quite fair. Well, it depends on, you know, what the long, long-term long objective is. But what you'll see is a lot of people become, they start to practice aspects of Islam which they just wouldn't do in any other time of the year. And again, it's because of those leverages that are put in place. It's, it's like it becomes easy to do those things. And you, you'll see people, you know, like sometimes you... I remember when I was in school, um, you had... Uh, women, uh, you'd see women who would never wear the hijab, but during the month of Ramadan, for some reason, um, they would decide that well, no, it's important for me to dress modestly and behave modestly because I'm fasting and my fasting requires me to do that. So, do, do I mean, that's think, just one example. Do, yeah. Do you think the community aspect or the fact that everyone, the environment as well, has an impact on that? Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that, that then again speaks to, I think it's incredible because I think the month of Ramadan in particular speaks to all these three aspects of behavioral change, which is making it easy, making it attractive and making it obvious because it's just just incredible because when you've got a whole community behind you doing the same thing, right? And, you know, for example, you take take a household, you know, uh, you've got the dad waking up, you've got the mom waking up, you've got the older sister and brother waking up, right? Um, then naturally, you're going to wake up, right? And if they're eating at a particular time, you're going to try and uh, wake up and eat at that particular time as well, right? And then you've got the mosque, which comes into play. People t- tend to come to the mosque uh, more so during the month of Ramadan and get involved with uh, religious teaching more so in the month of Ramadan, and it kind of becomes attractive, right? The, the, all of this kind of becomes an attractive thing to do, right? It, yeah, know, yeah, go ahead. We, we were just explaining, like, even with exercise and when you're following a diet or you want to exercise, you know, we always say get a partner, find someone to go to the gym with because they'll hold you accountable and you'll feel bad not doing it, you know. Um, not going because you said you would go. It's kind of that community culture, and this is such an integral, vital, crucial part of Islam, community, right? Like, for example, Muslim Muslim men have to, right? It's not a choice. They have to pray five times a day in congregation. Like, they should. It's, like, highly, highly recommended, right? If there's no um, <clears throat> legitimate reasons in place. They should go to the mosque. So you're meeting people five times a day. Then, 
you know, Ramadan's the same thing. It's a lot of community, a lot of um, prayers going on collectively, and then you're opening your fast collectively, and then you're encouraged to enable other people to open their fast. So all these different things, like really, um, you know, it, it's very integral to Islam. Even the concept of Hajj or Eid or the different festivals and celebrations within Islam, it's all based around community. And it just makes everything so much easier because everyone's doing it in your community. Absolutely. And it's just, um, yeah, the, the, the element of having a support group or a support is also very important in terms of trying to develop an identity and bring about proper behavioral transformation. And, you know, I was talking about how, you know, it makes it easy. It makes it attractive because everyone's doing it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, especially when you have, specific individuals because you know you'll have particular individuals who really welcome the month right and that's something which is then um observed by many uh and they you know aspire to be like that person right um so it really really makes makes it all attractive and then again i think it also speaks to the whole aspect of making things very obvious and i think in terms of the like, so for example, the the example that's given for making things obvious is, uh, well, if you think you want to do something or you should do something, then create the space or uh, put yourself in a situation to actually do it, right? So maybe one of the most basic examples is if you want to read a book, right, and you think you need to read a book at, just before you need to go to sleep, well, put that book on your pillow. Uh, and you might ignore the book a few nights, but then you might actually read it one night because it's right there. Every time it's right there and you're, you, you know, it's kind of prompting you, okay, pick it up, read me kind of thing. And I think the same thing kind of happens um, with this whole concept of fasting as well. Um, particular leverages are put into place, which kind of push you to behave in a specific way. And you don't really have any other choice but to but to do that um and it, it's just yeah it's it's just really profound what's going on um during that month um in particular um you, you know just yeah. on that there's there's the kind of aspect of um you know we talked about kind of the physical health benefits as well we should have you know we we talked about kind of various other aspects there's this huge thing on the mental health aspect as well as the community aspect so for example um i, I did some research a few years ago i was looking into kind of uh, mental health depression in young adult males and essentially what the not going into that too much but one of the things that i found out from that was that community aspect and particularly religious communities are so protective they're like a huge protective factor for preventing suicide in young adult males and it goes back to what father was mentioning earlier that you know this um it makes it easier it gives you that identity as well and um by partaking in Ramadan, which is prescribed individually, but also a huge part of it is these community-based activities. So, for example, uh, praying the Taravi prayer at, at night time, you know, having um, iftar with with your family or, you know, there's iftar at the mosque as well, which creates an, an opportunity or an environment to engage within your community. All of these things, they 
one they help you to do the the instruction to help you to um, carry out the instructions or follow the teachings of islam and follow the teachings prescribed about ramadan and fasting but two they also um, allow you to engage with each other and get that kind of community aspect and it, overall i think it, it's it's a hugely positive thing um, and and it's it's been shown across multiple aspects of research as well you know there was this uh, study that's just recently come out um it was done in china and they basically the conclusion was like so socializing every day with your friends more than half the risk of death within five years at the age of like 80 and beyond so they did it in like seniors um and it so one of the doctors they said <clears throat> this study found that frequent participation in social activity was associated with prolonged overall survival time from baseline to five years of follow-up, the more frequent the social activity, the more prolonged the survival time. This was done in people who were 80 um, and above. So, But there's loads of studies like that. There's tons of studies of the importance of having community, the importance of having um, a social network where you're connected. And another thing where you know this comes into Ramadan is, you know, they say, like, tell me who your friends are, I'll tell who you are. It's the same thing. Like, you're surrounded by people who are worshipping, who are focusing on their spirituality, that's going to brush off, right? And it's, you're going to be affected by that. And the Quran says, mm. like, be with the truthful, be with the pious, the righteous people. So it's like a, it's so ingrained in Islamic teachings that it's funny because we're born in the West. We've all been raised, raised in the West. And like you're saying, growing up, a lot of people would be questioning Islamic concepts and things. And it's only now, you know, we're 2023 and just endless endless amount of science and research coming out which is just you know solidifying um the islamic concepts and how important they are for our mental spiritual well at least mental and physical health spiritual obviously uh, they can't measure that's that's a different element um but yeah at least for your physical and mental health islamic teachings mm. just beautiful mm. absolutely i, I really like uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I really like the point you made earlier about um, you have to have uh, morality to be able to reach that level of spirituality. You know, like you mentioned, the uh, Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, explains this in a lot of detail in his book, um, The Philosophy of Teachings of Islam. But it's that aspect of, and I think that's what we're finding nowadays, where like on social media you have individuals like Andrew Tate you know well-known people who have accepted openly accepted Islam and there's open discussions about kind of Islam in in its sense how it's a moral religion how it upholds integrity and and they're looking at the kind of the moral aspect of it and that is perhaps inclining them towards looking into it further and understanding that there is a level of spirituality above this so I think that's a hugely uh, important factor that you that you mentioned yeah, and it's interesting because um, we're getting a lot of people uh, reaching out to us in recent times who they're just, as in, they're quite clear as well why they're reaching out. They're, they're saying very clearly um, that they're fed up with the hedonistic and ideals that modern society has uh, propagated and which they've followed for a very long time now. And they've come to realize that the 
long-term benefits are within the Islamic principles, um, you know, uh, and that in actuality, if there is any religion which which espouses principles that speak to your very human nature, it, it is Islam. It's just incredible. Like there's this, I feel like there's this large-scale exodus of people now coming back to religion and Islam is like there welcoming people with open arms that, you know, know, finally you found found your way. You know, there's this really amazing um, sermon which the second Khalifa of the Ahmadi Muslim community gave. And in it, he said, look, you can prove the truth of Islam just by the fact that Islamic teachings, and you can prove the existence of God in fact as well, just by the fact that society through trial and error will ultimately come to Islamic teachings. For example, alcohol. He gave the example of alcohol before people used to love alcohol and it used to be a prized thing and the health benefits and this and that. And the Quran does recognize that it has some benefit, but ultimately the the, the disadvantages outweigh any benefit. And now, again, suddenly, you know, study after study, they're saying that alcohol in no amount is actually good for you from a health perspective physical health perspective um it might have other benefits that's that's separate but ultimately it's not good for you right gambling the same thing um hijab now we know there's in western countries completely not religiously motivated you have women only areas for example when there's protests going on or women only train carriages why because that's from trial and error we've realized actually it's safer for women to have women only spaces, right? Islam is really teaching this. This, It's it's an ingrained part of our way of life. So ultimately Islamic teachings are being proven, right? And a lot more will be proven through um, not just research, but just by observation and what people feel comfortable with. And that then proves that means the person who gave these teachings, i.e. God, or the book that gave these teachings must have divine origins because only the author or, or the creator could understand the human condition in such a way to give these teachings that these teachings are being proven now by society that they're healthy for us. So that I thought that, that yeah, was really amazing. Yeah, no, nowadays there's like all these, any good, you know, you have the, we, we live in the time of influences and any good, fitness influencer right who's not swindling you for your money and is actually giving you practical advice um they're openly saying it now just don't drink alcohol i've i've completely left alcohol and ever since i'm i've stopped drinking alcohol i've i've been living a much uh better life and the other thing which i think it really speaks to is that it's that you know it's been described on on the world stage in a number of ways and i think it's something that really speaks to people today which is you know we were talking about how um everyone would like to live a fulfilled life if you're taking measures to live a fulfilled and well proportioned life then i would say that by default you're religious right and it's interesting because the reason they're doing it, uh, one way it's described is, well, the only way you're actually going to attain fulfillment in life is if you try to uh, achieve and you aspire and work towards the ultimate good, 
right? And in the previous podcast, we were talking about how that, well, that that's a very good idea. And in actuality, even Islam presents that idea. It's just the only problem is, what is the ultimate good? I mean, how do you define what the ultimate good is? And well, in terms of Islam, that ultimate good, we would say, is God Almighty, right? Is God himself. And what's amazing is, in terms of fasting, fasting is basically, you know, another way that the Holy Prophet of Islam has described it. He says that the God Almighty has told me that every action of the son of Adam is for himself, except that of fasting, and I myself will be, as in God himself says, I myself will be the reward for fasting. And then, you know, if you actually think about it, what are we even trying to do here? It ultimately, you know, as, as as I was explaining earlier, we set those leverages there. There's the communal aspect to it. There's the individual aspect to it. Everything is there to assist you to take yourself to the next level. But what what is that exactly? What it's assisting you to do is to create that moral framework based on an objective standard which revolves around the very principle and perfect attributes of God Almighty himself, right? I mean, that's the ultimate objective. I mean, you know, another place in the Holy Quran, you know, God Almighty, or even the Holy Prophet explains how that your your staying hungry or thirsty is is of no benefit to you if ultimately, you know, the objective of trying to become more godly is not achieved. And this is, I think, something which people fully well understand now. Maybe it, sometimes they don't realize it. Uh, again, we've tried to we've tried to pinpoint and highlight why people don't even consider religion. And well, the Islam, Islam and the Holy Quran is very specific. Uh, it says that well, in the modern age, if there is any reason why people are moving away from religion and don't even consider Islam is because of Christianity and because of how they've perceived religion through dogmatic beliefs that were forced upon them through uh, the modern version of Christianity, which is highly nonsensical, right? But, you know, when you actually look at... It's interesting because the behavior that people are manifesting and showing today, it's a natural behavior of a human being. Uh, They might not deem themselves religious or they might not associate it with a particular religion but it's interesting because islam in itself is a religion which claims to be the religion of your human nature it's something which helps you stick close to you know that the way the the holy quran describes is the fitra right the 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 pure nature that you're innately born with that desire to reflect god almighty right is what islam then helps you nurture and i think that that point is so important because every form of worship that islam actually uh, prescribes it's ultimately the goal of it is to develop this behavioral change to be able to reflect god almighty right you you take prayer you take any injunction uh, and now obviously we're talking about fasting in particular it's there to help you put yourself in a position where you can bring about behavioral change. And it's the other example that I, I, I quite like and I, I try to think about is, um, I'm sure, you know, 
a lot of people are uh, aware of the concept of progressive overload, right? Um, you need to, for any form of progression and growth, you need to progressively overload yourself. But there, there is a point in time where there are moments in time and there's moments in your life where you can potentially stagnate. And, you know, it's very difficult for you to bring about further growth. And the way I see Ramadan is, well, it's not like this kind of separate thing altogether. Technically, the whole 11 months you're working towards being more like God, right? Through other aspects of Islamic teachings and also sometimes fasting. But then in the month of Ramadan in particular, it's like now it's a concentration camp. Now it's time. It's boot camp time. You know, now if you want to push yourself a little further, you know, here's the perfect opportunity to, you know, take yourself to another level, right? To raise that baseline. You know, we, we received a few like uh, questions um, from here and there. Um, and I was hoping to really talk to you both about it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, both you and Dr. Hisham, uh, you know, there's some uh, even physical aspects of it that people we've received questions from individuals who've asked uh so i was just um yeah just i i guess i'll just ask one question at a time and see see what you have to say so um so yeah, yeah, yeah feel what, free what, like quick fire questions whatever yeah um yeah it, so it, it, like jump um, jump in yeah yeah so um so the one one question was uh, you know what what type of foods should should you be eating um during ramadan because you know the, the, there's a whole aspect of nutrition right um and how maybe you're not getting enough nutrients during the day so what kind of food should you should you be eating and how should you be eating because there's obviously a particular way to eat as well maybe you could even explain that as well cuz we'd have a lot of listeners who have no idea how we yeah, eat during no. this month either no, hundred percent. I think it varies across the board. Some people you'll find they have uh, heavy iftar, iftar, you know, breaking from the fast. But I, I think broadly speaking, the healthy way to to do Ramadan is one in the morning because you're waking up very early in the morning. The acidity in your stomach, and you don't want to overload your stomach or increase bloating for the day. The best thing to do is not to have a very heavy sehri. So to have a moderate kind of um, sehri uh, in line with the Islamic teachings. With uh, iftar, again, that if you suddenly um, have a massive meal, you'll increase the, the hormonal response that you have or the digestive enzymes that you're secreting. And your digestive system suddenly, which has been empty for the entire day, is loaded with um, lots of food that it now has to start digesting. And again, that requires energy as well. So you're burning off more energy. It's actually more practical to break your iftar with something um, light, like a date, which is uh, was the practice of the Holy Prophet wasallam. And uh, this provides sugar, nutrients, allows for the brain to start functioning again um, at its higher level. Um, and uh, the key thing or the best bit of advice that I can give is try and increase your fluid intake. Try and get that fluid in after iftar. It's um, very beneficial for your kidneys. They haven't received, like I discussed earlier, there's a clear stress on the kidneys and that's one of the um key aspects that one should monitor 
um, that, you know, you should increase that fluid intake and allow your kidneys to flush through and start functioning again. And actually by doing this on a regular basis over the 30 days, your body adapts quite well. So um, the key thing, I suppose, key pointers are eat within moderation. Um, try not to overload your digestive system in one go. Um, try not to eat bigger portions than you normally would. And if you do this, you'll definitely, it's kind of logic, you know, input versus output. If you're eating less than you would do normally, you will naturally lose weight. If you're losing weight, you're going to lower your cholesterol, lower your um, chances of diabetes and um, increase your insulin sensitivity. So all of this goes hand in hand with the physical benefits. But I suppose the other, only other added bit of advice is try and drink more fluids as well throughout the night. All right. So is it what about like in terms of specific foods? Because that, that was another question, which is, um, you mentioned, so iftar, which is when you break the fast in the evening, um, the date, um, and then the sehari, which is the morning meal, which you would have before you start the fast. So what kind of food would you recommend eating for the actual morning meal, right? As in, is it like carb heavy or protein heavy or, um, what would be good as in i guess maybe the question stems from the idea that well you have to stay i mean in the uk you have to stay hungry for maybe 18 hours here yeah. it might be slightly less but yeah. it's like so you have enough to get you keep you going through the day well it's it, actually the type of food is um it can vary it's there's no specific this type of food is good this type of food is bad what's key is your calorie intake so if you're um getting enough to get that energy in so if you get a heavy protein meal naturally it's going to leave you a little bit more bloated might give uh symptoms of reflux um so it's better to have a lighter sort of normal breakfast meal like you do like cereal or something that you would have as a breakfast kind of meal one thing if you could do if you wanted to increase your kind of if you're health conscious is try and include within the iftar and sahri meal some aspect of uh, your fruit five a day fruits to try and increase that kind of intake and get those antioxidants in get the nutrients the vitamins and the minerals that you require your body requires on a day-to-day -day basis and that way that the as long as you're not overloading your calorie intake whether that's at sehri or iftar then you mm. won't put on weight quite a lot of people actually your digestive system is designed that metabolism isn't the best if you're having heavy in other words if you're having heavy meals towards the end of the day even if you're not fasting so on a day-to-day -day basis you're more likely to gain put on weight and sustain that kind of fat so you're not metabolizing as well as you would do because in the day you're functioning you're you're walking around you're you're, you're kind of uh, active so it's better to have a heavier breakfast than it is to have a heavier dinner on a day-to-day -day basis and just taking that principle into fasting um you know you don't want to have that heavy iftar um at the end of the day because it will lead to weight gain mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely um some people also try to do this thing where they because obviously um at sunset when you're allowed to eat uh it's also time for the that the prayer at that time which is called maghrib right so some people they'll have like maybe a, a glass of milk or a date and a glass of milk and then they'll just go for the prayer 
uh, and then they will have dinner at a, at a later time. Um, mm. So I was just the, the why that comes to mind is because you know how you were saying that maybe it's not a good idea to just load yourself with a lot of food immediately. So yeah. I was thinking maybe is is that a good idea as well? As in, would you recommend that they do that or? Because some people would argue that, well, you know, why not just have the the dinner then, right? Yeah. Um, like have you, immediately. Yeah, you probably heard this phrase like the the food coma or the postprandial yeah, kind of yeah. phase that you have after a big meal. So, <clears throat> if you <clears throat> excuse me, if you can imagine after a long day when you haven't eaten um, and you have a massive meal, suddenly your body is going into digestive mode. You're going from that. Um, you know, you're, you're switching on all the elements of digestion, this aspect of um, f- focusing that energy in breaking down that food. Now, if you mm. have that heavy meal straight away, that side of things kicks in um, straight away and straight away an individual might find themselves becoming more uh, drowsy or low energy in that aspect. If you have a simple kind of iftar, sugar something or carbohydrate to and fluids to kind of introduce food again into your gut suddenly that process switches on but not to that extent that it would do with a heavy meal and if you're going to pray in the meantime you've given yourself a break your gut is again you're actively doing something you're not just focused on digesting food you're actually continuing to carry out your duties to stay active and then you digest better when you have that that meal uh, later on providing it's not very heavy like um some people do but um again that would be it, it, the, the wisdom behind it could be explained scientifically but there re- there are practical benefits in the way that the holy prophet sallallahu practiced um islam and practiced breaking the fast uh, in terms of having a short um break for the fast and then performing his prayers and then carrying on and having a meal afterwards so there are practical benefits which have a positive biochemical impact on on the body as well it's interesting how you mentioned the whole um caloric intake aspect of it because i think that's i think that's what causes the headaches isn't it because it's like if as in what i mean is um it's the quanti- It's the quality that's important, not the quantity. Because sometimes what people are thinking is like, well, I've starved myself throughout the day. Now I need to just eat something. Like I need to just eat as much as I can, mm. right? Whereas technically you can most probably reach or come close to your caloric intake without stuffing yourself. You just eat the right uh, nutrient-dense foods, right? Because... Mm. Um, and then from that, I guess the other question was that, what about hydration? You know, you mentioned how it's important to keep hydrated. Um, but if you've got a very small window to drink and eat and drink, mm. uh, what's the amount of what's the amount of liquid that you should actually be taking so that the next day you're not suffering from immense migraines and stuff? I mean, the migraines and the headaches are, partly to do with the reduced fluid intake but most of it is to do with the kind of disruption in your daily habit of eating throughout the day the the body Mm. is under stress so it's that stress response that's associated in terms of fluid intake you should ideally have your kind of regular you know two to four liters a day of of water but um 
you know, the kidneys, like we, like I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, that there are so many studies looking into the fact that there is a stress response on the kidneys, but they're not, it's not sustained post Ramadan. So after Ramadan, it does recover and returns to baseline and in, in a healthy individual, um, providing you don't have any kind of kidney disease. So fluid intake is important to maintain that kidney health and prevent things like kidney injury, acute kidney injury and these sorts of things. Um, but the, it's all within moderation. So it's not like you should suddenly start drinking extra water throughout the night. Um, you should still aim for that. And I know the, the period is limited, but it's not a bad thing to have a limitation on your fluid intake as well. Again, overall, so I'll, I'll, basically I'll finish off with one reference to a study where they looked at um, people who fasted with the ability to have water and fluid and people who fasted without the ability to have water and fluid and looked at the kind of different responses between um, the metabolic responses that occur within the body. And essentially one, the, the key thing that they were looking at in particular in this study was the anti-inflammatory response. So how does the body um, begin to repair itself and start that whole process, which is kind of secondary to that process of um, autophagy that we were talking about. Now, um, they found that it was obviously uh, and logically more strenuous on the body and you had a higher anti-inflammatory response in the people who fasted without water. So mm. in other words, the metabolic response that you're getting, the effect on your body from fasting is greater when you don't have water um, for that fasting period. But then at the same time, and, and it has to be measured over the entire fasting pro, uh, period, so 30 days. But at the same time, it's advisable from a kind of clinical standpoint that you should drink enough water. Um, it doesn't have to be the full two to four liters, but you should be trying to make an active effort to increase water intake during the hours that you don't fast to allow healthy kidney recovery as well. Mm. What about people who work out? Um so someone who, like uh, Fatir, you're you're someone I know. You're very active. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I so. think with workouts, it's just there's different opinions and there's a lot of advice on the, um, on the internet. Um, it's I guess is what works best for everyone. But a lot of a lot of people who do go to the gym because they need the glycogen and you know the glucose to fuel their workouts. They do it after. Um, Opening their fast, Breaking so, fast. Yeah, so two, three hours after, or like I like to do it just before. Um, yeah, I just mm. feel good. And then you, as soon as you break it, you go straight into your workout. Uh, you go straight into refueling. So, yeah, there's different, there's a lot, of, a lot out so, on the internet. What's, what's your, what's your day like usually during Ramadan? Yeah, so I think this is typical, um, a typical day. So you start off with the hajjid prayers and then um, you have your morning breakfast, then go to the mosque, um, do your fajr, come back, listen to, you know, the, the, the lecture on the Quran, come back and read the Quran. And throughout the day, you just go about your normal work day. And of course, the element of completing the Quran in one month 
is always there for all Muslims to try to do that because the Holy Prophet did that with Angel Gabriel and um, every Ramadan went through the whole Quran. So you just kind of build it around that and Zikri Allahi, which is remembrance of Allah, like we said, the voluntary prayers. And then you, what I usually do is I work out just before breaking the fast. And then, like mm. I said, refuel. And then, <clears throat> you know, you go to the uh, Maghrib and then Isha prayers. And then if you want to do Taraweeh prayers in the mosque or come home. But again, it's all based around religious reading and focusing on um, the Holy Quran, essentially. Right. Yeah. No, but um, so in terms of like, you, you said you work out before breaking the fast. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it's, it's, it's easy because once you get into there's something called immunosuppression. But you strength train or do you ca- ca- anything? Do you, if it's, are you doing cardio or strength training? Everything, everything. Because I'm, so. I'm presuming you can't do you can do strength training during a fast. I'm sure your you know your your power output and your strength is much less because you don't have the glycogen stores really um, to fuel your workouts. But but there is an amazing feeling. Loads of people now are working out whilst in a fasted state in the morning. You know, they've been fasting for a long time, 13, 14 hours. Mm. So it's like, it's a typical thing. It's not like, yeah, it's not impossible at all. And you, it, yeah, your water's low, but it's fine. It's, mm. it's not an issue. A lot of people will, will relate to this, that they've had a workout, they've done a workout, they've played some sports and they're just not hungry after that. Uh, I was just yeah. going to say it might even be beneficial to do it in the fasting state because um, when you have done iftar, your body is then focused wholly on digesting your food, metabolizing it the best. Whereas if you work out after iftar, um, you don't get that. Your body's under a huge stress response. You might even be doing more damage in some aspects because suddenly you pu- you push yourself all day and then suddenly you're pushing yourself even more. The period of iftar to sahri should really be about sleep, eat, rest, fluid, and uh, get yourself... Because re- essentially that's what the purpose of Ramadan is, to fast and during that fasting period to live your life and with the, with the high moral qualities we talked about, whilst achieving a particular purpose and perhaps in your daily lifestyle you'd go to the gym so you should try to include that within that period ideally later on in the in the fast year yeah no because we've got in australia we've got a lot of gym goers i mean it's it's like uh, yeah it's a big thing here so i know like a lot of people would be interested to know if you're fasting I'm presuming that in terms of strength training, you wouldn't be doing big weights then. You'd, you'd reduce yeah. the load. You wouldn't. But, you wouldn't be able uh, to lift. Yeah, exactly. Strength. Uh, typically, the people who are strength training, it's probably more beneficial for them to do it after having their food. So they'll do it late at night, usually. What Muslims, what I've like mm. kind of seen online, um, they usually do like, you know, after Isha prayers. So they've had a good meal, they've got the glycogen stores up, and then they can fuel the workout. Um, mm. And so they can lift and stuff. Yeah, it's all about kind of balancing and moderation. So if you are someone who is focused on because if you do heavy strength training in the day bearing in mind you're not drinking bearing in mind the kind of references are made earlier your kidneys are under a stress response when you you know when you're breaking down muscle 
you're releasing things that are filtered through the kidney. So the kidney has to work even harder. So you're causing kidney injury as well. And then we have seen patients who have like heavy bodybuilders who have not to do with fasting, but because of the way they train have caused significant kidney injury requiring, um, uh, so basically leading them to chronic kidney injury, dropping their kidney function significantly. So you have to be a little mm. bit careful as well um, with the type of uh, exercise you do. And uh, yeah, I think it, it does vary on the kind of what your end goal is. For those people who are heavyweight trainers, they may eat a heavy iftar as well, get that energy back and then go for training later on. But they all balance it within their, give appropriate kind of time periods to rest and recover as well. Um, but some people have trained themselves physically towards being able to deal with that. Mm. What's your what's your day like? Because uh, you're a doctor, so you're most probably at the surgery um, yeah, or the hospital. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's awful. Um, it... it really you because throughout the day mentally you're using a lot of effort to try and diagnose and help people and you you definitely see that that strain towards the end of the day so that um, ability to make decisions you know because most of my job is to make decisions and decide okay what are we going to do next managing different different people um i mean now i'll probably see about sort of 40 patients a day so if you can imagine towards the end of the day you're starting to really slow down and it's important because whatever you do affects another person's life or their health um so yeah it is quite tricky but it is that aspect of trying to kind of balance your your day-to-day -day functionality but also during ramadan there is that element of um, community that there is that element of um, gathering and prayer together so there's like a, a community-based motivation to be able to get through and i think Fatih touched on this earlier that as you get into Ramadan, it is easier and more fulfilling as you get kind of through the through the thirty days towards the end. Yeah, it's actually interesting you you mentioned the whole concept of balance because I'm just thinking you're most probably forced to do things properly. Then you know how like on a normal day you're like, oh yeah, it's all right. I go to sleep a little late. I'll have food a little late, or you know, I'll I'll do things that maybe in a in a disproportionate time. And it's okay, as in the next day will be fine. But since now, you know how you mentioned how it could affect your concentration. And mm. so that means after work, you have to ensure that you're getting to bed on time. You're having food properly. You're having, it's like, you know what I'm saying? The, the leverage of um, actually doing things properly is also there as well. Because if yeah. you want to perform the next day, then you need to do everything properly the night before as well. So it's not just limited to that time of fasting, which I find interesting. So just coming to the end of the podcast, um, yeah, I mentioned in the beginning how um, both of you are the hosts of the Inspire podcast um, under the um, newspaper, uh, the Al-Hakam. So I was hoping you could uh, yeah, just give, a, give our listeners and viewers an introduction to um, the Al-Hakam newspaper as well as the Inspire podcast and what it hopes to achieve. Yeah, so the Al-Hakam newspaper, of course, originally started during the time of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mizagullah Muhammad, peace be upon him. And it was relaunched in English in 2018 by our current Khalifa. And it aims to, it's an Islamic newspaper aimed at Ahmadi Muslims but we do lots of you know 
modern day questions in relation to religion as well. There's lots of history of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, there's, you know, a wide range of articles relating to Islam. So we have that. And then we have the podcast, which we started um, about a year ago now. And we, the aim of the podcast is to interview experts in a wide range of um, different fields and speak to them about it's similar like your podcast you know the islamic element on different ele- uh, things so we've done addiction we've done brain states we've done um, even you know people muslims who are in innovation and creating things so there's a whole array of um, things there but it's not just ahmadi muslims we have non-ahmadi muslims on as well experts we've had book authors um we ha- actually had professor um jeffrey Sachs, who is a, you know one of the most renowned economists in the world talking about the russia ukraine issue right now so yeah you can find us at alakam inspire we're also on social media dr hisham can tell us more about the social media elements yeah absolutely so the social media is uh alakam inspire uh that's our twitter and instagram handle and of course we've got the youtube channel youtube.com slash alakam inspire um all the podcasts are available on youtube or podcasting platform and are also played on the voice of islam uk if you like this episode, please do follow us on our socials at True Islam AU. Similarly, you can visit our website for more content at trueislam.com.au. We would also love to get your feedback. Do you agree or even disagree with what we've discussed? What would you like for us to cover in future episodes? Our contact details are in the description below. And with that, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening. And until next time. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you.